Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by Daniel Kaplan of Sports Business Journal. We have just been sitting together through three days of this uh, trial, Jeannie Bouchard versus the U.S. Tennis Association. And Jeannie Bouchard was just a winner recently in a verdict that came back very quickly uh, from the jury after less than an hour on the liability stage of it. The USTA was found negligent uh, in creating a condition that caused her injury, slipping and falling on the floor. The 2015 U.S. Open, hopefully all of you are familiar with the basic Back to the case. I'll just I'll just start generally. Daniel, what are your general impressions of how that first three days of the trial went? What is your biggest takeaway from uh, well, the first three days? It's clearly a big win for Jeannie. Um, and if the USTA isn't trying to settle this tonight, uh, uh, they're crazy because the, the numbers are going to be astronomical that I think the Bouchards are going to be asking for. I wouldn't be surprised if it's mid to high eight figures. Mid to high eight figures, yeah. Uh, I mean, because they are going to claim she was a going to be a top 10 player for her career and this took it away from her uh, you, look all the listeners can dispute that and you can argue that but that's clearly if they're if you are a top 10 player for your career you you have significant earnings and they're going to claim that was taken away and not just a top 10 player but a genie bouchard attention getting kind of top 10 player more of like a sharapova right. track of what kind of career she was expecting to have right. setting up for herself with big endorsements and in addition to prize money and stuff like that absolutely, yeah absolutely uh now it was sort of i mean it was to to many of us it was a bit of an odd uh verdict because if you're not familiar with the the civil personal injury uh, cases they 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 actually found everybody guilty in the case yeah. um, and they, they found Jeannie guilty they found the USTA guilty but they said uh, the USTA was 70 basically I'm not gonna bore you with the charges but 75% of the fault li- lies with the yeah. USTA 25% with Jeannie and so what that means is if at the end of the day they say Jeannie lost 50 million dollars there's a 25% discount on that so yeah basically the way it was I didn't realize I hadn't been to a trial that had this sort of verdict where it's a sliding scale essentially of, of liability or you know responsibility for this injury and Jeannie was ultimately given 75 uh, sorry 25% of the 75% 75% no I mean USTA gets was 25% given 25% Jeannie was 25% responsible which means that right. the USTA will get a 25% discount on whatever right. it has to pay her and and like you said, it could be a lot of money. It'll be interesting. I think the second phase of the trial is much more interesting, as even though this first phase wasn't boring per se, uh, in that it'll be all about her earning power, what she had made, how I think one of the interesting things is how a player like Jeannie Bouchard, who has a very abnormal career right now, and that she makes more off-court than on-court in recent years with her various modeling mm-hmm. and swimsuit issue and, and endorsements, that, and she's a player currently ranked top outside top 100. So it's going to be interesting to see a breakdown and analysis of how that kind of career is managed and, and you know, banked on. One, uh, one thing yeah. I'm interested in, is there any residue, that a bad residue that comes off between the WTA and the USTA? Uh, a number of times the USTA lawyer essentially tried to throw the WTA under the bus, yeah. blaming the WTA trainers, uh, putting it on WTA rules for, in part for what happened. In fact, he tried to slip the WTA uh, into the into the final uh, charging forms. Uh, that was denied. Uh, it, in his summation, he, he all but told the jury, if you find the WTA guilty, you can't find us guilty, uh, even though WTA is not on the wasn't wasn't a defendant here. I've got I've got to wonder what does the WTA think about you know the USTA dragging their name into this? Are you surprised having sat through the three days of the trial that WTA was not named party to this lawsuit? 
I don't. I mean, I'll I'll start. I I don't think so because I, I think, think so I either. think that overall this was a loss, and I think that Morelli probably could have done a better job in the end, honestly, of simplifying the question. It was a it was a lawsuit about the floor, you know. It was a lawsuit about the floor, which was cleaned by a USDA employee, uh, and the USDA employees could not decide which one of them had done it. I mean, there was there were three custodians we heard from or locker room attendants, they're called, uh, Karen Owens was the supervisor, and she said that it was another woman, uh, Christina Simmons, who did it, who cleaned the floor under her supervision, but Christina said she wasn't allowed to handle any chemicals because she was pregnant. Uh, and then the, fourth, the third woman, uh, Sandra Benavides, uh, said that she had nothing to do with the floor, and no one kind of accused her. I'm not really sure why she needed to testify, honestly. Um, but none of them could get their, their search straight, and it was, just a, it was just a question of just the USTA making a slippery floor and her falling on it. I mean, as much as there was talk about the schedule and her press conference and how effective an ice bath is after more than an hour of playing, there was sort of, I think, a lot of, I think fair to say, misdirection in this well, trial. I mean, you, 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 there was so much misdirection. You, you talk about the efficacy of an ice bath an hour after yeah. play, which yeah. fascinating medical discussion, but one that was clearly thrown out there by the USDA to somehow suggest that Jeannie was at fault because she was taking her ice bath too late. Like, that had something yeah. to do with... Uh, them putting down the slippery substance. Uh, it, it, I'm, I'm almost surprised the judge allowed that that discourse because I mean it was it was irrelevant whether Jeannie should be taking the ice bath 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half. And you know another thing Morelli didn't really talk about was that the reason that it took her so long to get to the ice bath is she was doing USTA media obligations. Yeah. Uh, that's why. She, you know, it, that's why she was late. I thought he could have hit harder on that, too, just saying that she, and there was this, and I thought he could have been more forceful on this, there was often referred to this tutorial, which WTA players have to take when they're coming on to tour, a sort of guides and, you know, rules to the road of the tour and normal practices, and there was, part of it was a five-step uh, routine you should do after matches. Off the top of my head, the first one was cooling down, some sort of dynamic warm down. Number two was showering. Number three was media obligations. Number four was eating. And number five was seek treatment, which would include an ice bath. And so she did those in, she flipped number one and two in her order. She uh, she showered before her warm down, but I don't think anybody really thinks that was that important. But then she did the media before the ice bath, like she was prescribed to do in the rules. And for them to say, oh, she took too long and the trainers bolted on her, I, I thought that Merle could have been more forceful, actually, about that part. Well, also, and I don't, I don't know if being more forceful would have gotten her 80% in 775. I don't know, I don't know if it cost them in the end, but I, I, I thought just, he could have been more forceful. I thought it was somewhat unseemly for the USTA to be suggesting, well, the WTA said it's okay, we can clean the floor. It's your tournament. It's your locker room. They're your employees. You know, you're responsible yeah. for, for, for this. I mean, look, Jeannie Bouchard may not be the most... Uh, you know, uh, you know the the best witness. She comes across as cold. We all know issues with Jeannie Bouchard, uh, but uh, she, she she has a right to you know to go through her routines and yeah. come back into the locker room and expect there not to be slippery substances on the floor. Uh, especially when she passes one of the employees, in this case the supervisor, Karen Owens, on the way in, who doesn't say anything. Yeah. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. I I gotta say, I mean. I think the USDA was successful in getting 25% taken off mm. because I really felt there was no case the USDA had. I mean, I mean, it was all misdirection about WTA training room hours and, you know, should she have been there? Was the ice bath covered? That's all irrelevant. She, she was there. The rules were no, no cleaning the floors until after the players are gone. Clearly she was there. Somebody messed up. We uh, we heard yeah. So just just run by for those of you who obviously weren't sitting in the courtroom the whole time. 
Jeannie walked back into the trainer's room after the WTA trainers, or back into the locker room after the trainers had already left, uh, past this woman, Karen Owens, who was the head sort of custodian locker room attendant, and uh, Owens did not warn her that there was now this part of the room that was slippery that had this, this new cleaning substance, Oasis 299, just very caustic, heavy-duty, industrial-type cleaner. And she, and she changed into her sports bra and shorts to go take an ice bath, and you have to walk through the trainer's room to get to the ice baths, and slipped and fell within two steps of getting into the trainer's room and uh, wiped out and, and hit her head. And we haven't heard, and it's also been interesting, that they haven't, I don't think they've used the word concussion once, well, maybe I might have mentioned it during jury selection, but they didn't mention any extent of her injuries. It'll be interesting to see how much they, they go into uh, how lasting this impact is. I mean, they're Morelli mentioned, alluded to, you know, changing, evolving research on NFL concussions yes, uh, in, in his post I think you will hear a comment. lot about yeah. it tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think you, you've been saying during the three days that this part of the trial is about everything that happened up until the time her head hit the floor. Yeah. Tomorrow, everything that happened after she got up starts, and that's yeah. when we're going to be talking about concussion. They're going to hear about concussions and everlasting effects. And I think it'll just be really interesting from a just purely tennis point of view like assessing how her career would have gone in this sort of sliding doors moment in this sort of, you know, alternate path, alternate alternate history of what happens if she doesn't slip and fall, what kind of career she has, if she wins even her next match. I mean, the next match she had, we're going to talk about would she have won the next match would be a real question. She, gonna she was going to play Roberta Vinci, mm-hmm. who was ranked 43rd, but wound up making the final, wound up yeah. beating uh, Mladenovic in the next round, and then Serena Williams famously, yeah. obviously, in the semifinal. Vinci had crushed Bouchard the week before in New Haven, mm. like 1-0 and or 1-1, and something like that. It was not a close match. and But I'm guessing, and this is where it's become kind of interesting, what kind of defense the def- uh what kind of argument the plaintiffs use, uh, I think they're going to argue, or they could argue, I would argue, but it's dodgy, that Bouchard actually somewhat tanked that New Haven match because she had to come to Manhattan the week before they opened for a <laughs> Nike appearance. <laughs> and so she had to, she wasn't playing at her full strength in that match. But then if you start introducing that, then you sort of impugn her character and her competitive spirit and all those sort of things. So I, I, I think it's going to be messy. And then you just see... She was already slipping in her career before she slipped on yeah. the floor. I mean, she had lost a ton of matches in 2014. She'd already fallen 20 places in the rankings uh, during that year from top five to way outside the top 20, or well outside the top 20. I think she was 25 at the U.S. Open. Uh, and, and people were saying, you know, she might have been a, not a – I think it's unfair to call her a flash in the pan, but people were wondering if she had already – at least there's going to be a long way to get back to the top where she had been or if all that going to the top was way ahead of schedule. Well, so, I, and, and, and one of the people on the witness list for the – USTA, it's going to be Alicia Malik, who is a uh, former top 10 Australian tennis player, current Australian Fed Cup captain, who is going to testify. Uh, we assume that Jeannie was kind of be a garbage tennis player forever. That's why the USTA would have picked her as a witness if she was prepared to testify that way. So uh, it'll be interesting to see that just from a total Monday morning quarterbacking hindsight is, I don't even know, just sort of, yeah, alternate history, but I, yeah, how you do that. It's so hard. I mean, it almost sounds like the kind of discussion you'd have around drinks after. Exactly. It's totally you know, a barroom discussion. It's a barroom discussion going to, going to a courtroom. And, you know, what tens of millions of dollars now hinge on uh, hinge on this. Um, my guess is the USTA sort of knew they were going to lose this this phase and uh, they needed to go through with this for liability reasons, uh, insurance reasons, excuse me. Uh, their insurance companies, I, I, I've been told, you know, really pressed them to do this. Hmm. Um, you know, But you think they should have settled? You think they would have been better off settling? Because people, my editors, I'll say at the Times, were convinced this would settle the whole time. They never well, thought it was going to go to trial. I've been told the insurance companies were putting a lot of pressure on the USTA not to settle. Yeah. Um, they, they wanted this. They 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 wanted this fought, fought. and in the in the in all the issues with trying to project how well she would have done, um, 
the USDA may have seen, seized this as perhaps a, a multi-front war. Uh, they sort of knew they were going to lose this first battle, uh, and perhaps they think they'll do a lot better in the damages phase. Yeah, that, that, that they could do, and then the damages is more, much more uh, fluid and much more amorphous and much more unknowable. But I want to say this: whatever comes out of the damages, if they, if the USDA does better than expected and only has to pay eight million to her, and, uh, I think the USDA comes across very poorly in this. In hmm. this, uh, I mean, the 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 efficiency of that that locker room, the, the decisions that were made, the investigate the subsequent investigation, none of it shed well on the USTA. The investigation and looked particularly bad. The, the investigation looked particularly bad. Um, and then to have your lawyer first attack, I don't want to say attack, but, you know, you know, malign, malign the WTA and their, uh, their, their train, essentially their trainers and trying to blame, blame them on it. And then at one point, you know, when trying to describe the charges, he said the USDA doesn't have to be perfect. We we just have to be. What was the word? Um, uh, uh, oh yeah, there's some word. We have. To, uh, that's a good question. He said we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be reasonable. We have to be reasonable. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and you wrote it, down that like that's a great uh, new slogan for uh, the U.S. That's Open. A, that's their new mission. USDA, statement. not yeah. perfect, but eh, reasonable. But reasonable. I'm not sure that's the precise term, but the point was I understand legally why he's saying it. Does any organization want to go on record saying we don't want to be perfect? And, you know, no. I just think they. this is why organizations like to settle. It's not a, it's not yeah. a good look. So uh, just to quick summarize, the first uh, witness was David Brewer, who's a tournament director. Uh, he seemed, it was an, he was an odd choice witness for the, I understand he's the head of the U.S. Open, but he seemed like an odd choice of witness for USTA to bring as their representative because even though I guess defense called him. The defense called or, him. Sorry, plaintiff called him. Plaintiff called him. But, yeah. um, but it just all seemed, all the issues about how to clean the floor in the locker room seemed so below his pay grade. I mean, which is fair. It's not his job to clean. He's the head of the that whole tournament. That was not, clearly not the reason that yeah. plaintiffs called him. They called him because they were, that, that, the issue was the investigation, how poorly the yeah. investigation. And I, I and they I, never talked to Jeannie in the investigation. Yeah, they never talked to Jeannie in the investigation. They did it. Look, I, and they couldn't figure out who put this stuff on the floor. Yeah. They didn't, they only interviewed uh, the Owens. Super Owens. They didn't interview the other ones. It, it's, it, it, and the reason he's on the stand, it has nothing to do with his knowledge of who put it on the floor. Morelli's trying to point out they were trying to sweep this under the rug. They weren't, you know, that they didn't care. I mean, he's trying to paint that picture. I'm not trying to say that's the case, no. but he's trying to paint that picture. And that's, and, and, you know, perhaps that was a wise move. It, uh, it flavored the rest of the uh, proceedings. And then uh, the next witness is Karen Owens. Who, do you think that she put the stuff on the floor? Do you have a theory on, on the who done it of who put it? Not that it really matters. It doesn't really matter, but, but I think she's the, jury, like the most likely candidate. She seemed like the most likely candidate. And so you either have to believe she put it on the floor or she had someone who was eight months pregnant put new chemicals on the floor. So yeah. either way, it doesn't look very good. Yeah. And so the other two next witnesses were the two other cleaning women, one of whom, Christina Simmons, is who. Uh, who, who Karen Owens said put the stuff on the floor, but Christina denies this and says she wasn't allowed to touch chemicals. Although there was debate, I was wondering about how pregnant she actually was during the U.S. Open. I was trying to do the math because she said that her kid is turning two on Sunday. Mm. But if he's turning two in late February, then she would have been less than seven months pregnant in September. Yeah, I was trying. Uh, so, anyways, uh, it was. Yeah, it was they used two figures. They used eight months, seven months. But I think it might have actually been like four. From what I was trying to do the math, could have been four. Anyway, that's not all that important. Um, I don't think you ever want to come uh, trying to. You know, scrutinize someone's scru pregnancy. Scrutinize no. someone's pregnancy in terms of exposure to chemicals. No, I think any time is a good time to stay away from chemicals in your pregnancy. And then Jeannie testified, and Jeannie, I thought was a pretty good witness. Yeah, she was. Very I thought she good, was very consistent. composed, very uh, non-emotional. Didn't take any sort of bait that might have been thrown at her in terms of trying to agitate her from Kaminsky, who was the USDA lawyer. 
I thought she came across well, and we're probably going to hear from her again in Damages, where she might get more emotional when she has to talk about the suffering and the pain and the hardship and all that stuff. Well, I don't know who coached her, but they coached, if she was coached, but she was coached well, because she sat at that table, and, you know, while, you know, she was being criticized and maligned by the other side, she never blinked an Never eye. flinched. Never flinched. When she heard the w, former WTA trainer basically call her a liar in terms of the rules of the training room hours, um, didn't flinch. I mean, if it were me and I felt I was being accused like that, I would be jumping out of my seat. Yeah. Uh, she was she was a cool customer in there. And then the last witness was uh, Christy Starr, the WTA trainer, who was the only defense witness. Uh, and she, I think, came across less well. I think she, she well, she, I mean, it's, it's subjective and sort of style points, but she seemed more easily, more easily agitated, uh, more... Yeah, I wouldn't say aggressive, you know, just sort of defensive, more on edge it than, than Jeannie. It was clear that she did not like Jeannie. Yeah. Uh, that came across, that she did not like Jeannie, uh, and the plaintiff's attorney got under her skin. That was clear. Um, you know, accused, uh, and they pulled, in a, they pulled in a pinch hitter for this one, which is interesting. Yeah. They had Benedict Miller, the head attorney, had been doing all the interviews, and they pull in Adam Deutsch, who's the sort of secondary yeah. attorney, who's a much bigger, kind of more aggressive fair to say obnoxious kind of guy in the yeah, courtroom yeah he was a he's a pit bull lawyer yeah. he's a pit bull lawyer but i mean what we, I, it seemed to those of us in the courtroom that this former wta trainer who was the one that correspond you know that, that genie interacted with that night uh, that she seemed to have some axe to grind uh there there seemed to be some some edge to it and they got under they got under her skin and she she reacted poorly a number of times on the stand. And, and they uh, caught her in a couple of contradictions about what she thought were the rules versus what any of the rule books and tutorials said were the rules. And, and she didn't like that. Yeah, she, she didn't, didn't like she, didn't she was well someone that. who clear she clearly didn't I, she clearly did not like the role she had on the WTA where she had to answer to players. That seemed to me to come across and she didn't like Jeannie telling her, you know, she could go into the training room anytime she wanted, which yeah. seems to be an informal policy from what I gather. Yeah, yeah that's, that's one of the key questions was this rule the USTA said exists where players are just not allowed to enter the training room without a trainer present. There was no written record of that rule in any sort of posting or various guidebook or tutorial or anything like that. So I think that probably didn't hold up well. So thank you very much for your time here. You're on this welcome. busy night, we'll both go file something off this uh, verdict. And we'll catch up with you again after the second phase, after the, yeah, we, we find out the I've settlement. Got, I've already gotten texts and emails asking me my over-under on damages. So, so you're, what, are you, what are you picking right now? Throw out a number. Uh, 30, 40 million. 30, 40 million. That's a big number. That's a big number. That's like almost the whole U.S. Open prize pool. Something like that. Maybe it's 50 million. But it's, it's a good chunk of change for Jeannie Bouchard. I, I'm not sure. I, I, would, I would go. I'll take the under on 30. Okay. I'll say that. I would say probably more. I would say 12. Uh-huh. But we'll see. It'll be interesting. Well, you know, I mean, it's possible the jury may want to send a, you know, a, um, a strong message. And it's also interesting how much how Jeannie's character comes into all this, because this is a Brooklyn and Queens jury. It's, uh, you know, there's uh, six of the seven have college degrees, we found out in Vardir. But, you know, it's still a, a largely working class yeah. group of people. And how are they going to respond to once they find out more about Jeannie and all of her millions and earnings and her swimsuit issue? And we'll see if social media, we haven't mentioned social media, but if her social media that hasn't been ruled on yet, if that gets brought into right. the damages phase. And I think it should. I think it's ridiculous to exclude it because it's part of her whole output in the world. and right. It's part of her profile. We'll see if they, if they resent her and find her, you know, very unsympathetic. And this is a part where she does need some sympathy. Unlike in the first part, right? No, I think I think clearly the damages phase is is will be the more challenging phase for Ginny Bouchard. Uh, they they won the I don't want to say the easy round, but they which they had to win. They ha- yeah, they had to win. Yeah, thank you very much, Daniel. You're Appreciate welcome. It. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you later from outside the court in Brooklyn. Bye, guys. You gon' knock me off the top. Shit, your wife in the backseat.
Like blah, blah, blah. Pay me what you want it. Don't act like you forgot. 